0: Well, as many of you know, I'm Pastor Rick, and I lead worship here at Crossroad. It's been a joy to minister over the past two and a half years. came from Colorado, and God was just so good to my wife and son and me as he led us to a church that that, uh, really was the answer of what we were praying for, a church that emphasized the gospel and love of people and fellowship in the Spirit, and we certainly have found that here, and it's just been a joy to be a part of this body. This morning, it's my privilege to uh, break open the Word of God to us. Uh, If you've been with us recently, you know that last Sunday, Pastor Rusty preached his best sermon ever, all right? So it's a very hard thing to follow that. This is a big fishing shirt to fill, but I'm going to try my best. And I even brought up my stopwatch here so I can kind of keep tabs on how long I talk. So we'll hit start. One of the words in the Bible that is used throughout to address great spiritual truths does not sound all that spiritual. The word is fruit. Yeah, that's right, fruit. Amos 6.12 speaks of the fruit of righteousness, and there it's associated with justice. Hosea 10.12 speaks of the fruit of loving kindness. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, famously said, "'You shall know them by their fruits.'" And his question could not be more down to earth. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? And everyone knows the answer. It's a rock solid no. Likewise, he said, you shall know good trees from bad trees by their fruits. What do they produce? And Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want to ask a question this morning. How are you doing when it comes to good fruit? Is your life producing much, an abundance of great fruit? Is it producing a little? Is it producing any? I mean, maybe we're just keeping up with life, and we think, who has the time to bear godly fruit when we're just surviving, right? Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're riding high. Life is good. You're living the dream. The only problem is Jesus didn't say, this is to my Father's glory that you're known for living the dream. No, he said in John 15, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So this morning, we're going to examine one of the parables of Jesus that deals about fruit. About one-third of what Jesus taught was expressed in parables, Uh, many stories with images and characters that people could understand. But our parable this morning is not, I repeat, not one of the more famous ones. It's one that's, in fact, only found in one Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And in this regard, it shares a distinction with other parables found only in Luke, like the prodigal son or the lost sheep, the lost coin, the good Samaritan. Our Bible passage today is the parable of the fig tree. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. And as you're turning to Luke 13, I have a question. How many times have you heard a message on the parable of the fig tree? Yeah, that's what I thought. In fact, some of you are kind of scratching your head. You're like, is that even in the Bible? Like, is that in the Apocrypha or something? I don't know what it is, but there's something about things with fig in them that isn't a big draw. I mean, have you noticed that? Chocolate chip cookies or Fig Newtons? right, take your pick, Oreos or Fig Newtons? Butterscotch pudding or fig pudding? Uh, You want some vanilla pudding or figgy? See, that's what I thought. And no one goes for the figgy stuff. And I think that's even the way with the parables of Jesus. We just avoid figs. I mean, give us some prodigal son. Oh, yeah. Or the parable of the sower. It's great. But the parable of the fig tree just doesn't seem to connect with a whole lot of people or preachers. And uh, I've never preached on it before. But that's where God's spirit, I believe, led me for my preparations this morning. You know what? It gets even worse. This is also the manure parable. Yeah, that got some of you. Some of you are really interested now. (laughs) Now, Out of all the parables, this is the one in which our Lord and Savior mentions manure. Your Bible translation might hide that. It might be a euphemism that says fertilizer. I'm here to tell you after three years of seminary and a year of postgraduate school, that's Greek for manure, All right, hopefully you're in Luke 13. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Hear now the word of God. And he told this parable. Once upon a time, a certain man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. Now he would go look for fruit on it, and none was to be found. So he said to the vineyard worker, Look, for three years, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it even use up the ground?" The vineyard worker replied, "Uh, "'Sir, let it stay this year, too, and I'll loosen the soil around it and also lay manure. If it produces fruit in the year, great, but if it doesn't, yes, cut it down.'" As I was saying earlier, we probably don't connect as well to this part of the Word of God because in our culture, we don't have a common knowledge of fig trees and we don't commonly value figs. And it really doesn't matter to us, right, that the central character in this parable, a fig tree, is at risk of getting permanently cut down and removed. But none of this was true for the original Palestinian audience. And so to help us connect better with this passage, I signed us all up for a free Fig fig 101 class. There, I can get it out. Okay, so welcome to class. You're in Fig 101. The fig tree was one of the two most valuable trees in the society. I mean, you had the olive tree, which produced a healthy fat, plenty of olive oil. And then you had the fig tree, which provided a healthy carb. Now, the fig tree is is either a small tree or a great shrub, depending how you look at it and it grows to a height of 10, 25 feet, big range. It's part of the mulberry family, actually. It's native to the Eastern Mediterranean Middle East, and it was valued for two reasons. Number one, it's big shady leaves, and secondly, it's edible fruit. Uh, fig fruit is one to two inches in diameter. It's shaped kind of like an onion, and a Fig tree, you know, it really didn't have to be that large or that old to bear figs. Uh, We've got a picture we can put on the screen of a fruit-bearing fig tree. If you see kind of there to the right of center, see that brown circle? There's a fig. Uh, Here's a tree that's actually just, it's it's a pot. It's in a potted uh, environment. Not that old, but it is bearing fruit. And if you were closer, you could see on the left-hand side, there are some green uh, onion-shaped circles, three or four of them starting to form. So this is a healthy, productive, fruitful tree. But by contrast, our next photo shows a larger tree, and to the best that I can see, there's no fruit on it. Quite a bit larger, but fruitless. And so Jesus is going to take this very easy, recognizable, important symbol in the culture to hang some spiritual truth on. Now, dried figs are high in natural sugar and along with their natural magnesium and fiber and trace vitamins and minerals, figs are an excellent food. I mean, they were a staple of the ancient Near Eastern diet. Uh, In the biblical world, it was very common to take dried figs, figs and to press them into rounds and these rounds were easily transportable, and so fig rounds were convenient. They were great for travel. I mean, they were kind of like the fast food of the day. Are you starting to grasp the value of figs? But wait, there's more. Fig trees were a productive species. They had more than one yield in a, a year. You had the early figs, the first crop, and then you would have a second and possibly even a third. So this was quite an efficient, productive tree. And so there's nothing strange here that we find a fig tree planted in a vineyard. In fact, the fig trees were generally more reliable than the vines. And so if they, they were kind of like a safety net. If the vines had a bad year, then at least you'd have still some valuable fruit because then you'd go to the corner of your vineyards where you had the fig trees and pull the figs. But how is that safety net working as we encounter this parable? I mean, the situation is so bad that the safety net has failed for years. Look at verse seven. So he said to the vineyard worker, look, for behold, for three years I've come, seeking fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. So if you're doing the math, three years is equivalent to six to nine harvest times in the fig world. This landowner has been exceedingly patient. This is not a harsh man. This is not a rash decision. This is someone who is given sufficient time over and over and over again, and there's just no fruit. What other features do we notice in this parable? At the end of verse seven, notice the landowner's rhetorical question. Why should this fig tree use up even the ground? The verb here carries the sense of exhaust or deprive. This tree is alive. It's so alive that it's drawing up nutrients from the soil. And so from the landowner's perspective, we've got a stewardship problem here. These nutrients, this real estate, could be going to a tree that will produce fruit, but instead, year after year, it's barren and it's drying from the soil, and he says, cut it down. And his logic is airtight. But that's not the end of the story. They could have could have ended there. Okay, fig tree is cut down. That end of parable. But no, the worker. This landowner has someone who is normally charged there to take care of the vines and the figs, and this worker steps up and intercedes and approaches his superior and says, and we see this in verse eight. He says, "Sir, let it stay this year too." So what he's saying is. Let's go up to or even into year number four. I know you've given it several years. I know it should be bearing, but you know what? Let's give this even more time. In fact, I will loosen the soil. I will add manure. Let's give it the best conditions, special care. And what I want to point out this morning is that is a great verse in which to see God's grace, God's unmerited favor. See, normally fig trees did not require loosening the soil. They don't require this fertilizer. So, these actions that we see here are special care. And the loosening of the soil is designed to make sure that the moisture and the water would get down into the root system. And then, of course, the manure would raise the acidity and add nutrients to the soil and just make sure that there's nothing that is being withheld nutrient-wise from this fig tree. Oh, brothers and sisters, not only is God patient like the landowner who comes year after year and gives more time, but he is like the vineyard worker who's full of grace and compassion and will go to the extra steps of special care. He ensures that the fertilizing is taking place. He ensures that the moisture is getting to the root system. Another feature of the parable of the fig tree is what I call the ticking clock. See, the text doesn't explicitly say that the owner agrees to the worker's proposal of these special treatments, but the text reads like this is indeed what will happen next. You know, the owner doesn't say, "Uh, no, don't bother, cut it down. We're kind of led as listeners to believe, okay, there's another plan. The plot goes on. And this tree is going to be pampered. And we can presume that it's going to be at least another harvest season, maybe two, maybe three, a whole additional year, perhaps. But nevertheless, at the end of that is the ticking clock, because eventually there's going to come a day of reckoning. There's going to come a day where no more extras, no more special. It's time to see what this tree is going to do. I think the theological truth here is that although God is patient and more than patient, although he gives mercy and he is compassion, he's not going to erase his word, which says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's not going to erase his word in John 15, which says, The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire. We are the branches. We're created in the image of God. We are created for a purpose. We are to bear godly fruit in honor of our creator, and we do not have an eternity in which we can be absent of spiritual fruit. And while we cannot know how much time we will have before the day of reckoning, it is absolute truth that that time will come. It's headed for you and me. And that's why scripture repeatedly says, today is the day. Don't delay. Don't wait. You don't know the future, so repent while you still have time. And in this parable, we see that, okay, if that time runs out and there's no fruit, then this tree will be cut down. Okay, so in context, what does that mean, cut down the tree? Several who have studied this parable have concluded that it's a parable about Israel, It's about divine judgment at Israel's door. They say that it tells of imminent doom, and Jesus was giving his contemporaries a picture. There is imminent doom coming to this generation because you've largely failed to recognize the Messiah, the Son of Man, despite all the stunning evidence and the miracles and the powerful teaching. And I've really wrestled a lot with that. I mean okay what is this really directed to Israel this is not directed to the church so this is part of our bibles that we can marginalize I mean, after all, the land producing no figs in Jewish literature does often represent the judgment of God. In Jeremiah 8.13, Scripture declares, I will gather them, speaking of Israel, and bring them to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree. And he judged early biblical Israel and they were seized by Babylon, and carried out of their traditional homeland. In Micah 7:1, the prophet says, how sad for me, for I am like one who finds no early fig which I crave. Faithful people have vanished from the land. So it's certainly true that we see God diminishing the role of Israel not long after the earthly ministry of Jesus. Yes, I believe this parable foretold imminent judgment on that version of Israel at that time. And as Dr. Daryl Bach puts it, the book of Acts shows that the nation failed to respond, an act that brought the Gentiles into the picture in a more significant way. So yes, the parable of the fig tree is a dire warning to Israel of that time. But that's not the end of the story because so many times biblical passages have what are called multiple fulfillments. And as I continued to wrestle with and reflect on this text... The data seems to indicate that this parable very solidly applies beyond Jesus' generation and beyond Jesus' nation and extends to you and me in 2023. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, the fig tree in Hebrew scripture is not really an established symbol for Israel. Hat tip to I. Howard Marshall on this point. No fig production, yes, definitely associated with God's judgment on Israel. But those handful of passages in the Old Testament do not actually equate the fig tree with the nation itself. There's more going on here. And secondly, the sentences of Jesus and the build-up to this parable point to a universal application two episodes in the news of the day are brought by people to this great rabbi teacher and they want Jesus to give commentary Uh, they basically want news commentary from Jesus okay there were two incidents one was a tragedy one was an accident and what did you know Jesus accommodates them he says all right I'll be your news commentator And the tragedy involved was uh, political violence, an episode of political violence involving some Galileans, and it became lethal. Galileans died. And then the accident had to do with the collapse of a tower, probably part of the water and aqueduct system. And for both news stories, Jesus gives the same news commentary, unless you repent, you too all will perish. It's a teachable moment, and Jesus goes, you know, kind of beyond the news right to ultimate truth. And so we're going to read the opening verses that come before this parable. If you're there in Luke 13, back up to verse 1, and we're going to read the five verses that precede uh, our parable today. Some people there with Jesus at that time told him about what had happened to some worshipers from Galilee. Pilate had them killed. Their blood was mixed with the blood of the animals they had brought for sacrificing. Jesus answered, do you think this happened to those people because they were more sinful than all other people from Galilee? No, they were not. But unless you repent, you too all will perish. And what about those 18 people who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more sinful than everyone else in Jerusalem? They were not. But I tell you, unless you repent, you too all will perish. And he told this parable. Wow. Jesus didn't come to be our motivational speaker. He came to be our savior. And when they asked him what he thought, he went straight to ultimate truth so that is the context in which we find this parable of a fruitless tree and about the intercessions of a worker who wants to give special treatment of grace and how that clock is ticking and we can presume that those extra moments will be given where does this bring us? I want to pull all this stuff together now. Everything we put on the table, let's pull it all together. Can we crystallize this in one major point? I think we can. and We'll put it on the screen here. God seeks fruit, and fruit comes through repentance. You want to be more fruitful in your life? You want more good to come out of your soul And into this world that we live in, repent. What is repentance? Because that sounds like a church word for sure. So I want to try to just take it way down to the, the, the easy to understand level. Repentance is doing an about face from wrong and having instead a commitment to God's ways. Doing an about face. 180 degrees I was going this way and then I turned around and I set my mind and I was resolute to go the opposite way where God is that's repentance I'm fortunate to have family who can speak honestly into my life and it hasn't been that long ago when they called attention to some fruit in my life my precious wife and my precious son, and they said, we see that fruit right there. You're grouchy, you're irritable today. And you know, they were right, I was grouchy. You know, sometimes it's not the macro repentance, sometimes it's the micro repentance. And I just kinda say, oh God, I turn from that, help me not to be so irritable. And yeah, you're right, I've got some anger in me. Help me to release that to you. What's the, where's that coming from, Lord? That's not the fruit of the spirit. Mike grew up playing drums and he was also in the choir at church. Um, He felt the presence of God to some extent. Mike had a relationship, a walk with God. But at age 17, all his friends went off to college and life changed radically. Mike began to play at nighttime bars. His shift was from 1.30 to 5.30 a.m. And it was trouble. He began to be enticed. He began to believe he could play with fire and not get burned. Looking back, he says, I lost perspective. It's as if my compass in life just disappeared. Mike smoked his first joint. Whatever he did, he justified it to himself. He embraced this new lifestyle. After the joints, it eventually became cocaine. Eventually, it included LSD. And for three years, Mike's life continued this way until one day he snorted something that he thought was cocaine and it was something else, and this experience was so bad He thought he was literally dying. He describes it as a near-death experience. Well, he survived that episode, and out of that, he began to pray that God would rescue his life from the trap that it had become. And one November day, at 12.30 a.m., the rescue happened. He went down, literally went down on his linoleum kitchen floor. He began to shake. He was in a fetal position and he wept and he wept and he wept and he cried out for God. And I quote now his words. He says, The God of the universe came and wept with me on that floor, and I haven't been the same since. Mike did an about face, he repented, he changed. In his words, I made up my mind that I would hold myself accountable and surround myself with great people, and he did that. And things began to change. And Mike finally began to bear good fruit for a change. Eight months later, Mike, Michael W. Smith, got his first songwriting contract. Not only have his 15 studio albums and 18 million records sold inspired countless people and pointed them to good values and to Christ, but Smith has been a spokesperson for Compassion International. He's led at Billy Graham crusades. He's been actively involved in voluntary service. He was even vice chairman on the Council for Service and Civic Participation, created by the President of the United States at that time. He's been married to his wife Debbie for over 41 years and his father to their five children. And after all this he says the accomplishments and the accolades are not what it's about. He says, I know who I am. I'm a son of the high king of the universe. And I want to ask this this morning that the spirit of God is tugging on our hearts and we've we know that we should turn directions and do an about-face, whether it's a macro about-face like Michael W. Smith or whether it's a more micro repentance. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to respond to the Spirit of God <clears throat> to do something that He wants to do in your life? I was talking about these things with my wife yesterday. Yesterday. And she made a great point. She said, "You know, as I think about my life <clears throat> as a as a mother, a wife, I, I have a lot of things that I want to do. I wake up in the morning, I've got my to do list, and I just want to go right to all these things and get them checked off and be productive. And then other things start to happen. You know, there's a a sickness, an inconvenience. Uh, the dog needs to be taken to the vet. There's curveballs, and." she said, you know, I I think it's good to tell the people to repent from the need to control. And boy, can you relate to that? That you get up one day and you're just like, I want to do this and this, and then you find yourself, like me, becoming more grouchy because things get in the way and you didn't get to get your personal agenda fulfilled. And that happens to us. But God's spirit wants us to, set, to to realize if you're my child, if you're the son of the most high God, I am using these things that you cannot control to produce something in you. So let's submit to the Lord, however he's leading us. Because when the fruit comes, it is so rewarding. Fruit that we're not like, striving to produce. It's God working in and through us, and something happens. It's like, wow, thank you, Lord. How could that happen? Uh, My son is nine years old, and he was so excited to uh, plant some seeds in a pot. He, He has an interest in growing things, and so this year, and this was was cold outside, but he had done some research with his Nana, and she said, it's fine, you can take your spinach seeds and you can lay them in the ground when it's cold, so he did that and watered and watched and would take uh, soapy water and spray some of the bugs off that would come and threaten his leaves, and it was exciting, and I got a picture here from May, uh, late May, when he came to me He said, Dad, Dad, look, it's my harvest. And out of a couple pots on our front porch, this budding Kansas farmer delivered some of the most wonderful spinach that our family has eaten. It is worth it. It is worth repenting. It is worth submitting our lives to a God who wants to produce in us things that we cannot produce in our own Efforts, our own talents, our own skills. So as the worship team comes, and we're going to conclude in a song that deals with God's faithfulness to forgive, and I want to invite you to stand and through this time of singing and meditation that you might offer to the Lord and give to him what you might be clinging on, saying, no, this is mine. Yeah, everyone can stand at this time. It's all right. And let's realize that, that whatever we confess, whatever it is, our God is faithful to forgive and to take us to the next level. Amen.